Hi. Hi or something. <laughs> Hello. Perfect. How are you doing? You'll hear this story and you'll also be gaining knowledge when you listen to it on how to do these things. I realized that like my concern was really just what people were going to think of my decision and oh my god she's crazy what is she doing she's not you know she's supposed to be pursuing a career this is when she's supposed to be finding a job and I that doesn't appeal to me that never appealed to me. Play a major role in spreading the love and the joy and uh, reducing our imprint you know for for future generations and for all that we share this planet with. I was just embarrassed. I felt like I couldn't do it, like I had already failed. I had no idea what I was doing. What did I get myself into? What was I thinking? Our history of humanity really revolves around great people. And that's, that's all we know about. And why is that? It's because the insignificant people weren't important enough that somebody would take the time to document their life. Hello everyone, my name is Kaylin Otto and you're listening to The Unruly Podcast. Let's all take a big breath together right now because I sure feel like we need it. So take a big inhale and through your nose. Exhale. Let it out through your mouth. I feel like there's such a big shift, change, disaster happening right now on a local level, obviously on a global level. And uh, I just want to share a little bit with you before we get into today's episode, which is very fitting for what's going on. So just talking about this cleanse, this water energy, I have been on a very short three-day food cleanse, and today's my last day, and this episode is actually getting published on the day that I'm recording this, which is really fast turnover that doesn't always happen, and I interviewed my guest yesterday, and so I'm on this cleanse, and yesterday there was this huge rainstorm that came through North Carolina, where I live, And I had no idea that it was going to turn into this huge flood. So I'm sitting in this hotel to get Wi-Fi. And, uh, you know, it's beating, pouring down rain outside. And I'm interviewing the band Holy River. And earlier that day, I had gone down to our river that runs through where I live. And usually it's this really gentle, clear river that I bathe in and swim in and just praise and love. And it was raging. It was dark. It was cloudy. It was muddy. It was knocking things down. It was powerful. Like she was, she was going. Um, and so there was all that water energy. And then I interviewed the first band I've ever interviewed on this podcast episode. And we had scheduled the interview, I don't know, a month out. And it happened to be on the one day I interviewed Holy River that our river spills over and there was a huge flood here yesterday in North Carolina where I live and downtown is underwater and houses are swept away and roads are upturned and uh, it honestly reminds me of a scene from when I did animal rescue in that hurricane which you can go back to and I'll put the link in the show notes I did an episode about that and wow 
it's just one big, powerful cleanse, change, disaster, whatever you want to call it, all at one time. So while I'm very lucky uh, and privileged to be sitting outside of my house in the sun right now, you can probably hear the forest around me, others in town are not so lucky. So I really hope that everyone listening to this, if you are in North Carolina, that you're safe or wherever you are in the world. Because there's just this, whew, this energy coming through. And yeah, if you're listening to this, you know, close to the time it's released, I would love to get a message from you, uh, whether it be on social media or through email, telling me if you feel a big change in your life, your local area too. I mean, obviously there's so much going on with COVID right now and Afghanistan and disasters around the world. So we're going through some some things um but yeah i'd love to know like personally and on your local level how things are where you are so before we get into today's episode there are a few things i want to talk about one if you listen to the episode before this one you would hear that i was in texas and i got to visit dallas and austin for the first time and i got to go to rebel cheese which is an all vegan cheese meat wine shop which has been a dream of mine for years now. So I wrote a post on my website at unrulytravel.com where you can read all of the vegan restaurant suggestions. It's like a guide to restaurants in Texas, in Austin, Texas, to be more specific. So if you're going there, you have someone who lives there, or you know someone who's going, please go on and share that article with them and spread all those awesome businesses and yummy food because, oh my gosh, there was such a huge selection. I also wanted to mention that in today's podcast, I reference my friend Ellen a lot and uh, her store, Middle Path Nutrition and Wellness, which is here in North Carolina. And she has started a podcast called Stories from the Earth. And so I highly recommend checking that one out and checking out Ellen's shop. I think that you can order things online and have them delivered to you. She is incredible. So the link for those things will also be in the show notes. And a quick message that the Art of Unruly Travel on a Budget, my extreme budget travel guide, is almost out. It's almost in my hands where I can send it out to you. I am expecting to receive the final proof this week. Uh, If all is still happening with the post office, I have no idea how that's going to go. And so I can look it over. I give the printer the go-ahead. They print out the books next week. They ship them to me within a few days after that, and I have them to give to bookstores, sell on my website, mail to people um, who I already owe you a book. So that is happening so, so soon. I'm, I'm so excited for that, and I, I can't believe that this is finally actually happening. So if you go to the link in the show notes, I will uh, link to the page on the book where you can read all about it. You can donate if you want more copies to be able to be made in the first run. And yeah, go to my website, sign up for the email list so that you are notified when new uh, articles come out and so that you are one of the first people to know when the book comes out and when you can buy it and where you can find it because, wow, I can't believe that it's almost here. It's been years. It's been years coming. So I'm so happy that it's almost here. Um, My last note for you before we dive into today's episode is that... I interview the band Holy River and we talk with Jameson and Laney 
And there's a song that I, I keep bringing up and that I was so captivated by called Spirit Riot. So you can either pause this now and go look up Holy River Spirit Riot and listen, or you can do it during the episode or after, whenever you'd like. But I highly recommend that you go listen to it and you watch the music video so that you have a little bit of understanding when we talk about it in this podcast episode. Uh, we talk about so many, I mean, incredible funny disasters, travel stories, and um, I get some travel tips that I wish I would have known years ago, actually. So I hope that you get to really listen to this full episode and soak it in, because to be honest, it's one of my my favorites so far. Um, So, all right, let's get into it. uh, Welcome to the Unruly Podcast. Thank you for coming on here. Uh, as I just explained to y'all, I'll explain to the audience because I always like to say how I met the guests that I'm talking to for the day. Um, but before the pandemic, I was teaching yoga at a little shop in Canton, North Carolina. And your music from uh, Holy River came on a yoga playlist. And Ellen, who y'all know because you were on her podcast, uh, Stories from the Earth, s- stopped. I think it might have even been in the class. She was like, wait, what is this? And so I had to stop and tell her the name and send it to her later. And then we both started listening to y'all. And then a little bit ago, I got to see you play in Asheville. Um, And I went with Ellen to that show. And I listened to her podcast, and I heard you talking about travel. And I was like, wow, this is just too epic. I would love to hear your stories. And I think that people who listen to the podcast would also really appreciate and enjoy your music. So thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having having us. us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, could, to start, could you just introduce um, yourselves individually, tell me a little bit about you, and then we're going to get into y'all like together as a band and your music and travel and all of that good stuff. Yeah, uh, my name's Lainey Sullivan, and uh, yes, <laughs> you'll, you'll find out about me. <laughs> yeah. uh, my name's Jameson Price, and yeah, you'll find out. Um, I think in relation to what the subject that we're talking about, um, before we met Mm -hmm. Jameson, Jameson and I have been, uh, friends and partners in life, um, for 14 years and it was a long time, (laughs) but, um, it was fun when I, when we first met, we were in really different places. Um, we met in Richmond, Virginia, which is where we still live. It's our, still our home base and has been for like 20 years. Um, but we would always uh, a lot, a lot of times leave and come back and leave and come back. And it's a great place to do that because it's Mm -hmm. like really well located and the people, the culture in Richmond of friends we have, it's just like you, you'll be gone for like four years. And you'll come back and people will be like, did you go somewhere? <laughs> like, I haven't seen you for a while. And you're just like, yeah, you've been gone for four years. <laughs> and so it's really always easy to come back to Richmond because you just can pick up where you left off because people are so casual about coming and going. A lot of us come and go. And I think it makes the city better because we go and travel and it's casual. learn about all the other possibilities in life and different things. Mm-hmm. And then many people come back because it's really affordable and homey and beautiful and and will um, bring these new ideas to the city. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, you know, I know this is just an introduction, so I don't want to take up too much time, but Lainey really um, was the catalyst for a lot of international travel. She studied um, comparative world religion and international studies in college, and so I think got 
to travel and see a lot of places um, under kind of the safety and the introduction through education. And then it just was like the bug kind of bit. And then we started traveling a lot yeah. together. I had just come back from India uh-huh. and I, I'd done a program in India, Thailand, and Taiwan studying different types of Buddhism. And oh, I got wow. back from that trip and then I met Jameson. And so I was just coming from, and I had just lived in Spain for the year before that. Um, studying abroad in Granada in southern Spain. And so I was very well-traveled and knew how to navigate um, moving around and doing it um, without much money. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that was one of the ways that we bonded was me showing him how to do that. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. It sounds like you were super used to it. I mean, India, like all these different places, Thailand, so, Jameson, had you traveled a lot before you got together? Um, I traveled nationally. I hadn't done a lot of international traveling, no. Um, so, but I had done some touring with music and had done some cross-country trips and things like that. But, um, yeah, I hadn't done a lot of international traveling. And we ha- kind of had to figure out how to inter- international travel together because, you know, Lainey was uh, studying in, in programs, and so a lot of the traveling was facilitated. Mm-hmm. And so we had kind of had to learn how to facilitate our own traveling and how to do it on a on a budget. Um, so it was. A, I think we were both kind of learning that style of international travel together. Yeah, yeah I taught I taught Jameson how to do the, a lot of the international stuff, and he taught me how to tour, like with music on the road in the United States because he had been in punk bands that had been to- had toured and had booked their own tours. Yeah. So it was fun. We had, got to trade in those those ways. And those can both be really intense. Not that I've been on a tour, like a band tour in the U.S., but I have done like band trips across it and stuff multiple times. But those are both intense type of travel, like outside the U.S. and then inside the U.S. with a vehicle on a budget. Um, so, yeah, that's so interesting to hear that you kind of swapped those two things that you both knew about. Do you... Obviously, we're going to get into your stories and more things like that, but both of you, do you prefer like staying in the U.S. and doing a tour in that way, or do you prefer going outside, or is it like they're both so different you can't compare them? They're totally different, and um, they're yeah, they're not really comparable at this point in, in the way that, because we still are like, we call it road dogging it a lot of times <laughs> when we're like doing international tours. Um, as the band and national tours, I mean, we, we're totally DIY self-managed. We don't have any crew. We do all of our own schlepping and booking and Mm -hmm. traveling and I mean like driving and everything we do ourselves. So, um, our situation when we're driving, when we're, we have a vehicle in the United States is that we like have a car or like we have our little van that we can sleep in if we need to, that has all of our gear in it. Mm -hmm. But when we go to Europe, we have to really pare down to like the very bare minimum of what we can carry up flights of stairs to sleep at our host's houses and what we can carry with us on public transportation and in trains and in airports. And so that's really difficult is like the amount of, of carrying gear that happens in Europe when we, when we travel there. Well, even before we were traveling with music as our main vehicle of traveling, um, when we were just kind of traveling to get to know ourselves and learn a lot, I would say internationally, I think you learn a lot more about yourself and Mm -hmm. and your own culture and kind of of a reflection of yourself more than you do traveling within the United States. I think 
obviously the United States is really big and it can express itself culturally in a lot of different ways. But um, when people talk to me about traveling, I will often say it's the best education I've ever received was international traveling. Um, but we try to be really mindful about international travel, right? Not nationally, we can be a lot more regional. We can be a lot more mindful about our consumption and what we're using. Mm -hmm. When we internationally travel, we know that's got a larger um, footprint. And so we want to really stay longer and be really intentional about our regional travels there. And so um, it, it is a little like harder to travel, travel international and be as mindful with like resources uh, than it is regionally just because of where we live and yeah. what our home base. And for both of those types of trips, I think one of the similarities that we've learned is for us, um, we have a saying that's like leave room for magic. Because when you're booking a tour and you have concerts, you have to be very scheduled and regimented to make sure that you get to all of your places mm -hmm. on time and you're working. So we'll try to leave like blocks of days open that are like where we just don't know what we're going to do um, so that we can follow that inner guide that you get when you don't have a schedule when you're traveling that you just like meet someone in there they you have a feeling that you should follow this this line and you some that's sometimes how you find the most amazing moments yeah the it's, locals know the magic so you, yeah. Have yeah. Leave space to so you have to leave space to have those magical experiences and we we did that in europe um in 2019 we were in germany staying with our friends on the german polish border mm -hmm. and um and we had some days off and we we're like well what are we gonna do we really want to play some shows are we just gonna like busk like what should we do and we saw this really <laughs> funky poster for the festival de la conciencia colectiva which is funny because it was a polish festival but the title was in spanish yeah and it was at this art co collective and that was run out of an abandoned train station in Poland what? and we ended up asking the organizers on Facebook if we could play we're like we're just this random indie folk band from America that are, we're just here can we come and play and they're like yeah sure and so we played for <laughs> everyone in the dining hall while it was raining so everyone was like packed into this dining area and they freaked out about us and put us on the main stage the next Whoa. day so we got to play this and it it was like the most organic uh homegrown festival in the way of like the the food vendors there all had like cauldrons um cast iron cauldrons where they would like cook soup or like uh these wood fire stoves where they would make their pierogies and their i mean the food what? was amazing they'd have like big bushels of live herbs that they'd be cutting to put in the food like every oh it was just it was magic it was total magic so yeah, we never would have found that if we didn't if we had scheduled ourselves so much yeah i love that you said leave leave did you say leave room for magic or leave space for mm -hmm. magic because yeah. I always, you know, there's a lot of people who will come on my blog or I'll talk to and they're like, I haven't traveled before. Like, what are your travel tips? And that's so hard to say because there's obviously so many things. But I always talk about travel magic because that happens. But it only seems to really, like, get in there where you end up in this 
perfectly organic, yummy, amazing situation like what you were talking about if you leave some space for it. Because if, if you plan everything, you know, there's no space to talk to that person you were kind of thinking about talking to or just like walk down that street you felt like you should walk down or look at that poster like you said and you're like, oh, what is this? Let's message the people and see what's going on. Um, so I love that you said that because I feel like that's such valuable. Just that one statement is so valuable for people to take with them when they travel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a fine it's a fine balance, right? You want to have enough um you want to give yourself enough planning and enough space to feel comfortable that you can receive the magic when it happens, right? Yeah. Because if you are in this like kind of um oh, I don't know where I am, uncomfortable kind of unbalanced space, you don't even really have the opportunity to find it because you're you're so in like survival to find that comfort. And so like planning and finding the comfort is important, but then like not just relying on the plans being the comfort. <laughs> that totally that totally makes sense. That's why I feel like it's good to take some things that you hear about, like really hardcore budget travel where you're dumpster diving and or living in your a car or hitchhiking or something. Take some of those things, but then like you said, have some solid things where you're like, I know I have this and this is my comfortable spot because you need that to kind of be able to branch out of, if that makes yeah. sense. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, and it's going to be interesting um, trying to maintain that um, because we're we're having a kid, yeah. And so we're going to have this like extra element when they come with us because there is an element of risk in the magic too. Because when you follow a random person yeah. in another country, <laughs> you don't know what. Like, I mean, like the first people to intercept us at that Polish music festival were terrifying. That yeah. were, they were like these people that were um, trying to rip everybody off about the parking situation and like yelling at each other and yelling at us. And, and, and if we just let those first people be our experience of like what everyone was going to be like, yeah, we would have turned around, like run back to Germany. You know? so, yeah. so, but we just, when kept going with it. But. Yeah, you just trust the process. I mean, at some point, and you know this through through travel, at some point you just have to sort of surrender and mm -hmm. you relinquish an aspect of control and you just surrender to the process, which I think is a big part of the education that you get, right? Because we have the opportunity to control so many things when we're at our home and in mm -hmm. our home base. And when you travel so many times, you're outside of that comfort zone. And if you want to stay in a healthy mindset while you're traveling you at some point get to this place where you just relinquish control and you just surrender to it and usually when you do that you know you can get through it's just like whitewater rafting right you get yeah. through the waves and then you're on this beautiful calm part where you see all of the you know birds come out and everything and the magic is revealed so yeah um, yeah i think i know this isn't going with your question Go, oh my gosh the question is out is, the window yeah whatever <laughs> who cares um this this idea of like being able to weather through the uncomfortable moment mm -hmm. and wait until you're in these beautiful moments. Uh, I think both Jameson and I learn that even more deeply. We both walk the Camino de Santiago de Compostela mm -hmm. in Spain, through Northern separately. Spain separately, like at different yeah. times in our lives. Oh, but I wow. feel like that's one of the like biggest lessons of walking or like you did biking mm -hmm. a long distance is that sometimes you're like, on the highway and it's terrible or like not the highway but like the road and yeah. there's terrifying trucks like right next to you and you're like am i gonna die this is yeah. <laughs> i hate this moment like yeah. i'm in, in a temporary health state right now but if you just keep on moving through it you'll in the next hour you could be in the most beautiful forest you know yeah 
And <laughs> it's a great life lesson of just like keep going forward. Well, sometimes you have no choice too, right? Like, what are yeah. you going to do? I mean, when you're in those situations, yeah, like that was perfect. I don't know if you listened to anything of, of mine or if you just conjured that up in your head, but I have been on the side of a highway when massive semis are coming by and they're shaking my whole bike and I'm like, I'm about to die and there's nowhere to go. Like, what are you going to do? And I'm like repeating mantras to myself like, oh, my, I can't feel my hands anymore. And I'm like, well, this is it. Um, but then you get out and an hour later, yeah, like you said, you're in the most beautiful forest or you met the most beautiful people or you're sitting at a cafe and you're like, wow, I just, I love my life. I love this trip. So I, I love that. You, I love that you said that because I feel like it is so true with walking, you know, hiking or um, my partner and I have been getting more into whitewater kayaking and oh, yeah it kind of terrifies me sometimes like yeah. he's like let's just go do it like we've never done a class three who cares and I'm like <laughs> I'm like uh, I don't know about that but then I'll put myself in it and you can't do anything about it you just have to surrender so I think that's a huge part of travel and I, I love that you brought that up because sometimes you just have no choice I mean mm -hmm. what are you gonna do um, and I, I also was thinking about this too, and I, obviously you've had to put thought into this, but how do you feel like you're going to manage when you do have a baby and you have a kid with you? How do you feel like you will find that balance with budget traveling, but still that safety comfort level that you need with a kid? Well, our traveling has changed a lot um, than it did when we were like doing super um, budget traveling. Like, you know, there was a period where we were just traveling to really learn a lot about ourselves and mm -hmm. grow as individuals and grow as people. And we still do that. But um, a lot of times now it's through the vehicle of our music. Right. And so we're, we're usually cultivating a tour and planning and playing music. And so we, we, we've gotten into a space where we know kind of how to expect for those moments to show up, mm -hmm. like in terms of magic and the spaces and the gaps. Um, and so I think we'll probably heavily rely still on our music being the main vehicle of travel and, mm -hmm. and have safety in that container with the child um, before we break back into just explorative, open, um, you know, like personal, um, like driven. Vagabonding. Yeah, vagabonding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, I feel comfortable and safe doing any traveling in the United States with the vehicle. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's like the shell of having a spot and a place and like a place where the stuff is. Um, internationally, there's a potential that we could do an international tour before the baby's old enough for us to leave it with our parents for yeah. a while. <laughs> yeah. That's an option too. But, um, but I'm, I'm talking to my friend in Norway who's a booking agent um, about trying to find a vehicle where we, with his family, could all go as like two families. And he's Whoa. a photographer and a booking agent. And his wife um, could potentially like, care for the kids while we're on stage. And then we could just like split all the profits of the shows evenly, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so something like that. I think if we had a vehicle, the hardest part is the carrying of the stuff. When we were going on trains in Europe in 2019, I was just like, I can't carry anything else. There's nothing else I can carry right. on me right now. When we now. travel with our band. Yeah, um, when we know. have the music gear. Yeah. yeah. But if we were just like, and we don't really travel without playing music very much um, because... Anymore. Anymore. Um, because 
the music is such a portal into a more meaningful experience Mm -hmm. in other places and such a more holistic sharing of energy in our opinion where we can just like get to know people more quickly mm-hmm. and in a more complete way and they can see us more completely. So it's not, if I can't share the music, I always don't feel totally satisfied if I'm not able to share music while we're, while we're in another place. It's, it's changed a little bit too. I think the way that we've traveled, like I could still see myself, like I want to walk the Camino again, but a different route. Right. And I would mm-hmm. probably do that without um, the vehicle of our music as a band. Um, but I think when we were first traveling, it just had a lot to do with exploring ourselves and exploring our relationship and really wanting to learn and, and absorb as much as we could about mm-hmm. um, ourselves and this international world that we um, are lucky enough to be able to participate in. And so um, I think it's like, and then once you start to learn a certain amount of lessons and you kind of find the, the ways that you like to do it, then you kind of, the patterns sort of start happening, you know? Um, and you probably know that as somebody who travels a lot, you're like, okay, I, I have you, you get to know what you can expect a lot more from situations. And yeah. yeah and like Lainey said, traveling with music is, is really the best way to get like plugged into the creative scene, wherever you are the most quickly, you don't have to stick around and investigate as long. When we were traveling in Chile, we would have to live in a city for like multiple months to really find the heart of like the art scene. Yeah. Whereas we can find the heart of the art scene. If we play a show in, in just a one, in one night, you know, right. if we, um, so, yeah, and all these amazing opportunities open up when you play. When we play music, people see us. They feel like they trust us. Mm-hmm. They usually we have people, you know, excited to host us and put us up for free and feed us and show us around. And so all these doors open, and it's not just like being a tourist, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I can totally um see that because i feel like the quickest way to get into any community when you're traveling it's like what's this one thing i'm really passionate about that other people have in common where for y'all it's music i could totally see that the one night you were in Asheville, i was like oh my gosh i need to have them over we need to get together with ellen like this spot we need to have a fire like all these things you know like you see you definitely you see people and you trust them and um for me i feel like my vehicle for connection when I travel is like vegan, like animal rights activism or with the vegan community or direct action. Yeah. I'm like, back in, in the day, that was yeah. one of the ways that we did because we would always go to the Krishna temples oh, when we were cool. in South America. And because we're always looking for the vegan vegetarian places to eat because yeah. we're both vegetarians. And so we just like so much of our what we chose to do and where we chose to go had to do with where we could find the food that we <laughs> yeah. wanted to yeah. eat. And, and it feels more co-collaborative that way, whether it be music or art or like, you know, um, activism, you find the community and then you're kind of co-collaborating and co-creating with the people in that places rather than just going in and consuming. Yeah. It kind of becomes a more mutual like relationship building. And, uh, and that leads to, I think like much bigger, um, impactful experiences. Yeah, I think for everyone involved, I think that's so true because then, you know, you have things to share with them. They might be hosting you, but you might be teaching them yoga or teaching them about veganism or your music or whatever. So, yeah, I love that. I, that's that's probably my favorite part about travel is when you get into that where it's like you're both giving something and receiving something and you're not just the tourist walking around looking dorky, like taking pictures of things you know nothing about, which is completely fine, too. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but we all have just, moments of that. Yeah, yeah, we all have moments of that. And sometimes that's that's really fun and that's what you want to do for the day. But it, yeah, I love that when you get into it. And I could totally see how you would do that with music, especially in these creative time, uh, towns like Asheville and other places that you might go to. Which is mm-hmm. which is so awesome, especially when those people host you, because then you're like in the houses of people who live there. Yep. Or even just playing on the street when you don't have anywhere, you don't know where to go. It's yeah. <laughs> it's. I always say, being a musician and playing music is like standing on top of a mountain and like calling yeah. for all your people to come to you because yeah. they see you. It's like the visibility, and and I remember I, we were in. Bacharach in Germany and I, I decided I wanted to like busk and just see what happened outside this cathedral and and so I was sitting on the street busking and with my little ukulele just playing simple super, super simple stuff yeah. and I became part of the atmosphere I, I, and I loved that it was so beautiful to become part of the atmosphere and other people's experiences of that beautiful place it's like this merger it's being able to paint yourself in the picture with the thing you know yeah and with art and like music in general there's just so much trust I remember early in our traveling even around the United States if we would end up in a town at a venue that we knew was like okay maybe this isn't necessarily our scene we would play the show and just wait for those few people that were connecting with us to come and then you just ask them much more, like, where should we have played? What are the things that we needed to see while we were here? And then it's like they get you the inside perspective and point of view to be able to, like, guide your next experience. And so it does, like, it does have this, like, quality of calling it in. You know, you get to the mountain and you're just like, hey, who, who's, who's with me? You know? We're over here. Like, where are my people? They, they run up and they help, even if you're not in the place that you're supposed to be, you know. Uh, yeah. quotes on that. Supposed to be. <laughs> Yeah, that oh, oh wow, I love that. That makes so much sense with standing on the mountain and calling people in like, hello, you can tell sort of what type of people we are. If you resonate with this, come on over. Mm-hmm. Which is, I, I think our music is so um, non-normative too that yes. it catches people off guard. Like like the yoga class. Yeah. Goes, Wait, <laughs> yeah. what's happening? <laughs> I need to explore this a little bit deeper so yes um, i'm grateful that it has that quality to it that it can call catch people off guard it doesn't just like blur into the background oh no and i have to say that's what i appreciate about your um music so much just as someone who's trying to be as like earth conscious as possible um i also i heard you say on ellen's podcast that you're folky folk and i i feel the same way so when you hear that specific thing that's like earth conscious also self-reflective and and makes you want to go into action um i think that's a very specific call to people like where ellen was like wait this is our like our sort of people our sort of energy that we want like what is this let's get into it um which actually I, i planned on asking you this later but i'd love to go into it now if you want okay so when i went to the show I had not listened to your new music yet and I think that was the first time you performed it live correct your newest album in Nashville yeah Yeah, okay so I I hadn't heard that yet and um so I got the CD and I was listening and all this stuff and when you y'all did I don't I can't remember if you did it at the show or if I heard it on the CD first no you did it at the show the spirit riot song I was like 
boom, my brain was like, <laughs> I, I went home and I sent it to all my, you know, my best friends where I'm like, this is, this is what we need, you know, like sending it around. Um, and it, it actually reminded me of, I'll tell you what it reminded me of. And then I'd love to hear, you know, how this song was birthed. But, um, so I do every so often like liberate animals from farms, whether it be meat farms or dairy farms or whatever, you know, just places of abuse. And it, it sounds weird to sound, and not in a saviorish way, but in a, in a, uh, in a way like a protected way. I feel protected from the earth because it's it is like a high risk thing. You know, you're on someone's property. You can be shot. Um, you can be arrested. You can be charged with all these different things. Like it's a high risk situation. And I always get this eerie, um, you know, when I'm out in the middle of the night with my mask on and my flashlight and gloves and stuff, I always get this eerie feeling like I'm scared, but I'm protected at the same time and that I'm in the right place at the right time and I'm doing the right thing. And even if it's just one life of an animal, it's, it, that's huge and it's symbolic at the same time. Um, and so I'm always very particular with my music before I go into those situations because I need to feel like, yes, I can do this. Yes, I'm still with the earth, like all of these things. And I heard the song Spirit Riot and I was like, that's the song. That's the song that we're going to play before activism. That's the song we're going to play during it. That's the song I'm going to play before, like, you know, riskier situations and stuff. Um, so I don't know. That song just struck me so hard and so I want to say thank you for that song first of all um <laughs> such such beautiful words no, so you. I'm oh what was the part that hit me the hardest that you just said the that you oh you know you're protected like yeah. it's, you know it's dangerous but you know you're protected it's so beautiful and um have you seen the music video that we made for it <gasps> no I haven't but I need to oh, oh my gosh yeah that explains a lot about where where it came from. Um, that song is a hundred percent about the tree sitters at Yellow Finch Blockade who mm -hmm. are blocking the Mountain Valley Pipeline, and it's about the process inside of us when you know many of us were raised in the cities in these constructs of. <laughs> these constructs of death, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. like our own destruction of consumerism and capitalism and, and something in us wakes up, but it's like the most core part of us, mm -hmm. our, our beingness, our connectedness with nature wakes up. It's like nature itself inside of us as animals mm -hmm. awakens and we decide to leave the city and go live in a tree for yeah. a year, you know, yeah. instead of being in the in the hustle and bustle of the the chaos that humankind has created um, for itself to live in, and um, that it's it, yeah, it's about the awakening uh, in each of us. Because you know, like if you ask me how I woke up to understand the importance of my relationship with nature and me changing my relationship with nature and like using my life to strive to be more in balance with the natural world mm -hmm. like which is like the core of our music the core of I think it's it's our one of our spiritual tenets that drives our life together collectively mm -hmm. um I don't really know what happened you know like, <laughs> yeah. somebody puts a switch in me I mean it had to do probably with with spending a whole lot of time at hostel in the forest and like 
being really quiet with nature and starting to be like, I think I can understand the trees and like the way yeah. the trees are speaking. I didn't and know you quiet. spent time at Hostel in the Forest. Our neighbors um, always like go there and, and have a friend who runs it and all this stuff. Like they're so into, and my partner's been there multiple times. They're all like, everyone I live around is so into Hostel in the Forest. So that's interesting to hear you say that. It's a special place. We did like a temporary staff position there. Um, and I think growing food too had a big part of it because you finally see that kind of interconnectedness where like, when you're used to consumption, you think about it as this like taking, taking thing. But when you actually go through the process of growing food in terms of like companion planning and a much more like, a, um, you know, a holistic way of growing food, you see how it's regenerative and how the food wants you to partake of its fruit, because that's like what helps facilitate its life and helps it keep going. And um, so I think when you when you start to interact in that way, you sort of see how the cycles are um, are all connected and how you can participate in that cycle. Um, and how we che we're cheating so much with the systems. Yeah. We're, we're just like putting this thing. We're like, we're just going to shortcut here and here and here and here and here. And no wonder it's breaking down, you know? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, spirit riot, the riot is the internal riot of like how we were raised versus what we know is true and like what must be the future and how we don't even necessarily know what it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. But for us, for our generation, it's going to be fucking hard. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's a lifelong journey. We're not going to finish. We just have to like do as much as we possibly can to prevent the implosion of society. But let the things that need to implode implode and yeah. help them along in their destruction. <laughs> and so and it's like the ferocity. You have to be fierce too. We can't just be like, you know, we're in this culture that's very like love based and yeah, everything's based on love, but love can be fierce too. And, yeah. and at some point if you really love humanity. You have to be like enough of this bullshit. Like mm -hmm. you can't do this anymore. And I think when we're saying this too, something to be mindful of is like, we're not, um, at least for me, I've healed a lot in the terms of like thinking of this as fatalistic and more thinking about I'm contributing to this like this long legacy and this long journey of other people that have been doing the work before me that have been pushing this mm -hmm. this rock up the hill. And a lot of the times the number one things that folks will ask us are some of the criticism when we're participating in activism as well. What happens if if this pipeline gets built? What happens if the thing you're advocating for just ends up happening? And it's much more about just doing what we know is right and mm -hmm. contributing to what we know is right more than the attachment to every single outcome. Because there's so many people that before us fought for so many rights of others and for themselves and for the earth that never saw the fruition of that work, but they all contributed to this, this boulder that we, you know, we have now the ability to, to continue the legacy of pushing it up. And so, um, this idea of like we have to be attached to seeing these outcomes happen in, in just our short lifetimes, I think is really um, kind of short-sighted and sort of contributes to that same sort of consumption, instant gratification problem, you know? And so when we think, say this is like a lifelong journey and it's a lifelong commitment, um, we mean that in like not a fatalistic, not in a sad way, but in a like a really regenerative understanding that we're contributing to the kind of collective energy of seeing these things, um, the potential for these things to happen. And whether they happen or not doesn't really change the fact that this is the best way that we could live our lives and use our energy um, for the purpose of, uh, of others. And we've had some huge wins. Like Atlantic Coast Pipeline was canceled in 2020. We, we all wow. fought that for six years. Oh, my gosh. The, um, 
my friends came over the other day and they had their children and their children were like, my mom. And we were all swimming in the river in Richmond in the James River, which is near our house. And one of the kids was like, my mom said you saved the river. (laughs) We we saved the river with a lot of other people. Um, There were a lot of us involved in it. But yes, we did collectively save the river and from coal ash dumping, wastewater dumping, like in uh, like four years ago or five years ago. And just the, anytime you win, <laughs> it's worth it. Cause, yeah. Cause the earth, the, the like birds and the fish and all these other beings, the plants that are going to be most impacted, they don't have human voices for human to fight these human systems. Yeah. And a lot of these systems are just pieces of paper yeah. that people sign. <laughs> yeah. And, just like ignorance, like trails of ignorance. So like we have to intervene with our direct action in the world of ideas. Ideally, we can do it while it's still in the world of ideas so we don't have to strap ourselves to construction equipment. But um, because that's like when it's getting really so far that that the resource drain on the like movement is hard. Um, But it's necessary still. But if you can like intercept when it's still just some really bad idea (laughs) as there are many yeah Yeah. that's that's but but you have to like stay educated on what bad ideas are being made and it's hard to do that (laughs) yeah but I love what you said yeah and it's easy to get down about it too but I love what you said about um stopping the the bad ideas before they become a, a real thing because I feel like especially in COVID times where people are not doing as much direct action or protesting or which is obviously still going on but I don't think um it's to the same scale maybe as people who were regularly organizing for this specific protest or this specific outreach um I think people right now at least that I talk to feel like a little helpless like they're like oh I'm just learning all this stuff and having conversations again and again and so I think that's so important like yes let's stop these bad ideas while they're still up here in our brains before they're out here in the world because I think you can start to feel down when you're going through the motions with people talking about these ideas. It can feel a little draining. Um, but yeah, that's just, I don't know. You just lit something up in my brain like, oh my gosh, that is so important, <laughs> which is so get, obvious, but. <laughs> we get asked a lot too. It shows like, oh, you know, I want to participate in this activism, but I feel so helpless or it feels like such a big thing that I can't get involved. And I think um, we all have our ways, a diversity of tactics and a diversity of ways of being able to contribute, even if it's just to the, the ways that we're talking about, like stopping things before their ideas or just this extractive sort of mentality. Mm-hmm. And so sort of what I'll say to folks, like a good place to start is like, well, where do you live? You probably have a neighborhood association. You should join that neighborhood association because at those neighborhood associations, usually every time there's a development or there's some sort of business that comes in, it has to seek the approval of the neighborhood association. And so even though you might not be directly, you know, um, participating in line three, you can, you know, protest or like a pipeline protest, you can directly uh, participate in the same types of mentality um, in terms of consumption and overuse of resources and disrespect of the earth in your local environments, like in terms of like neighborhood association, or let's say, do you have a favorite park that you go to? There's probably a friends of that park group mm-hmm. that um, exists. Join that park group because those uh, little bodies of citizens have things that are brought before them and they do have a voice and are able to talk about the impact of development that happens. And it might not be 
the largest, biggest dragon out there, right? But there's plenty of little things to oh, like bring so in this consciousness and bring in these ideas of mutual respect and stewardship for the earth. And so that can be done on micro and macro levels. And just as we change ourselves too and become more accountable to our own individual impact on the earth, you know, not to like micromanage ourselves. Of course, we all are participating in systems that are not sustainable and it's like so hard to be zero waste or yeah. to, you know, to not use electricity that was you that was har harvested or created through fossil fuel infrastructure, you know, like that stuff is really hard. Um, and we're all working towards it. But there are simple things like, do I have a septic field where I live? And is it, you know, draining in a, an okay way that's protecting the water on this, this space that I am inhabiting? Like, mm -hmm. how much violence is my living on this this part of the land um in putting on the land like what is my diet like what mm -hmm. is what are the implications of my diet and how much violence am i creating and perpetuating through my diet mm -hmm. you know just like very we do what we can do you know yeah yeah because it, it, it is i i think that y'all have probably ran into it and i know i run into it a lot um, especially when it comes to non-human animals, because I think that's still so far away from so many people's minds, but people always say, well, you do this. Well, you, um, drive a car that blah, blah, blah. You know, it goes in this thing. You drive a car. Yes. <laughs> it's always that. I'm like, yes, I, I do. But you know, we, it is good to reflect on all the things that we do and change them as we can, but because we are here and we exist, we are going to be causing some type of harm, but it's about minimizing that and being, you know, if you still are causing it, can I learn about it? Can I be conscious about it? Can I be aware of it? And can I at least reduce, you know, reduce it in that area? Because, yeah, it's just so interesting, the, the things that people come up with. And I'm like, there's so much you can do. There's so yep. much you can look at. Yeah. I, I don't mind engaging with us folks all the time. We get that all the time. Oh, well, you drove a car here, so you don't have any right to talk to me about environmentalism. And I'll usually just go right back, like, so why does this, this massive system that we kind of ha are, have to participate in, why does that take away my ability to have a voice? Like, do you have any critiques about where you live, the city you live in, or the country you live in, or anything else? I'm supposed to be complacent to everything that happens. You know, it's, right. it kind of reminds me of this, if you don't like it, then leave it kind of thing. Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, that's not really, that's not really how change happens, right? If you don't yeah. like it, you work and you pursue and you keep working at it. And so this idea that there's some sort of disrespect because you're participating, but also simultaneously trying to change these systems is like not really also reinforcing good regenerative relationships, which right. is like you can see problems and you stay with them and you participate in the ways that they need to change so that they become holistic and yeah. and healing. And if you have to make the emissions to drive to a meeting to like fight a dragon Goliath of an industry that is going to like emit megatons of carbon, you know, yeah. every single day, it's like, well, there's, there's a balance of like the individual versus this collective whole of industry and what industry is doing to the earth because it's not people in their individual cars um, that are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's also a good conversation of like, you know, the, the conversation around how the, uh, the upper class of 
of kind of the ruling management is mm-hmm. uses the uh, working class to kind of divide each other, right? They, they use these tactics for the working class to continue to find ways to be, stay divided so that their voices don't become unified and actually addressing the largest, um, the folks that are extracting the most um, and yeah. that are participating in the worst kind of destruction. And so that's also a good conversation. Like, I feel like that I like to have with those folks as well. Well, okay, how can we stop dividing our working class and unify and against uh, the folks that we know are doing the most damage and are using this as a tactic so that they can kind of hide behind the, you know, pay no attention to the person behind the screen kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's, it's, that's so true. And it's gotten to the point where we do it for them. I mean, which is what they want. I mean, that means that what they're doing is efficient and it's, it's running well, which is a terrible catastrophe for all of us in the earth. Um, But yeah, I feel like we've gotten to the point where we do it so well for them. We divide ourselves uh, so easily for them, and we focus on these small things. Well, you drove a car. Well, you blah, blah, blah. Um, instead of looking at the big picture, like, who is pulling the puppet strings right now? And what impact is that having? And how can we rebel against that instead of each other? Um, mm-hmm. Which I do mm-hmm. appreciate about your music, too, because I feel like it is so collective-focused. And it's not pointing a finger. It's like, let's come together to like make change happen and move together in this direction, which I, which I really appreciate because that can be so hard to find in music sometimes, I feel like. I think it's because a lot of times we're writing the music for ourselves. We're writing it for our own like guiding principles. So it's not really meant to be finger pointing because we're, it's always kind of pointing back at us to hold us accountable for our actions and where we're going. And we're just grateful that other people uh, resonate with it and connect with it as well. And the finger pointing, though, is sometimes effective because it, uh, like Spirit Riot, yeah, that's like our most finger pointy song ever. Yeah, because at the beginning, at the end, we say, "See it coming down, see it coming down, see it coming down." Your iron cranes, your concrete walls, your email suits, suits your permit cars, cards, your crazy, your high rise thrones, your, your shadow lines, your god of lies, your god of lies, yeah. <laughs> like, all the institutions that were just like. Down. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why it resonated but with the song can... so well. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Burn it off. Yeah. I, mean, I think that, you know, there's a part of that that was needed too. And I'm glad it's in a collective album because there's so much of that album that's a lot more like introspective and a lot more calming. And so I think it's like, you <laughs> yeah. know, right, that, that those moments are needed. The fierceness is needed. And then there needs to be the time of com- um, contemplation to sort of say, like, okay. What, what am I doing in my life so that I can be reflective on what I'm doing and also what I'm participating in? Yeah. Yeah. But and in that song, song. Oh, go ahead. Oh, just that's the part of the song where you have the energy of like the Jesus flipping the tables, you yeah. know, where it's just <laughs> yeah. like, get out of here with that, you know? Yeah. Which I, I love because I also feel like there's a difference in finger pointing at big corporations and people who created the system than with each other who are like people living in it, trying to topple it or over, you know, overcome it or whatever it may be. Cause you didn't say, and you drove a car, we're coming down. We're going to slash your tires. Cause you created emissions. You're like, Hey, you like big business, like the system, you know what I mean? So I, I think they're definitely, yes, I always think there's a time and a place for it where it's so helpful. But yeah, what I appreciate about your music, it's identifying the system and those people rather than all the collective people who are trying to work against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have to name what you're fighting too. You know, uh, I feel like 
that gives depth to to work and to art. I feel like when it gets too vague, mm-hmm. um, it, that it's just like, we just got to fight the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but why? You know, like, the real deep work is like, why are you fighting the patriarchy? Like, what about the patriarchy is killing us? Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and who, what is it made of? What, yeah, like, who created this? And how is it still running? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in that same way, like, who's upholding it, even though those folks aren't the people who, like, created it or originated it, right? right. It's something that's been handed to them, and they're just choosing to continue to keep upholding it. And so it doesn't really become so much about that individual as it becomes these systems that have been handed down and people that are just not getting out of the way or not seeing it to just like relinquish these systems of control and these systems of destruction. Yeah, which, and also to your point earlier, which was, I was thinking on a little bit, is like where you were talking about driving the car to the meeting that might prevent, you know, this huge um, environmental catastrophe from happening. Like even, you know, we've ha- I've had this conversation with the travel community and especially vegan travelers or people who are more like trying to think of the earth and what impact they're having on the earth through their travel because we always talk about plane like flying in an airplane you know can cause so many bad things for the environment and um you know I always talk to my friends which I don't think there's a right or wrong answer but I'm always like is this trip worth it for me to do this and sometimes my friends remind me that like you never know who you're affecting when you get there and what big changes you're setting into motion. Um, not as an excuse, but just to keep that in your mind, like how I would think of y'all with the show, like driving to a show. Um, when you get there, your music is going to impact so many people. Like I heard that song and then I sent it to five people and then they started thinking about it and then they started researching it. So now they're taking action and, and they're researching it. So I do think sometimes it's important to consider that too, rather than just saying like, mathematically this took this much resources to get there and this much energy which is great to consider but also I don't know also like the metaphysical energetic impact it's going to have as well if that made any sense oh yeah (laughs) I think it's definitely a balance you got to keep a balance for sure and like a an internal ratio of like all right do I really need to How many times do I feel comfortable flying a year? Yeah, I mean, we have, like, we have certain numbers and caps that we like to keep on ourselves in terms of, like, driving and and flying and stuff. But that's something that we've just come to, you know, personally, that we feel like, okay, here's our decision because, you know, our life uh, and our ability to travel looks different than others, you know. And so it might be different for somebody else depending on what their work is and who they're impacting and how, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like hearing your um, feedback on it because it's always a different discussion with different people, depending on their work or their income or different things like that. Well, and we also try to take into, I mean, I love, we just started touring internationally Mm -hmm. um, and playing music, and I I love it, and it's something I want to do more in the future. Um, But we also want to be really mindful about the space that we take up as white Americans mm-hmm. in other places and the resources that we Oh no, you froze. Equity in that and that there it's it's not imbalanced and that we're not just like, yeah, sure, we'll go play this thing because it sounds 
amazing, but that we're really thinking about the energetic impact in positive and negative ways of us being in different spaces as the people we are. Like, it was amazing to be able to be in Europe and to, to like, talk, it was during Trump still, mm-hmm. and to be able to talk about how we disapproved of Trump as Americans um, all around Europe. Mm-hmm. And so that we got to facilitate that conversation and, and let people know that people in the United States are not just like complacent to what's happening, you know, that yeah. there's a lot of that, that there are a lot of us who are working for a different reality. And there was a lot of co-collaboration. And I think that's a big part of it too, is just being mindful of like Lainey said, our usage, but also are we coming in and are we like collaborating? How much collaborating are we doing and how much are we, um, you know, participating in the groups that are already existing and, you know, um, elevating their voice as well. Um, yeah, for, for people that don't have the same resource, access to resources that we do, like um, we have a close connection with India. We have a very mm-hmm. good good friends in India. Um, one of them is a tabla player and a community organizer in Varanasi. And um, like throughout COVID, um, we, we did this COVID fundraiser benefit in Richmond where uh, we with a bunch of people had a big fundraiser show and then we sent the money to our friend Ravi, who then did these like micro grant performance projects for artists who were out of work in, in Varanasi and mm-hmm. was able to like distribute a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of food resources to different out of work musicians and take videos of them playing and send them back to us. And I, we're like processing those videos to share with people in the United States so they can both see these artists in India and also hopefully create some kind of um sustainable stream income stream that you know because we have access to different distribution than in india right we like it's something i don't think we think about like the internet is it the same for everyone in every country right and mm-hmm. what is accessible and what is not and so even in that way us like you know trying to take on robbie's music and these groups of um, musicians that have um, had a serious impact through covid and through um just just the distribution of wealth in india um how can we then help like facilitate their music to stream in different platforms that we have access to here in the United States so that they have different access to income sources there. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff, that kind of work. And I think facilitating and perpetuating art is really important. It's like mm-hmm. an important part of the work because it is what helps drive us and motivate us. Like you said, you, you know, you listen to spirit, right? And that like help pump you up for, for these things that were happening. And that's beyond even just us. We think of like our songs and our art as almost like our children that we yeah. birth. We certainly had a hand in their birth, but then they have their own autonomy to yeah. create their own relationships and their own ability to create their own networks and create their own meaning. And, and folks will find different meaning in this art. And that's why art, uh, visual, audio, whatever it is, is, is so impactful because people draw different motivations and different inspiration from it and it becomes this living kind of breathing separate organism that then then go around and do the work independently of even the people who facilitated the art in the first place which to me is incredible i just (laughs) sometimes when i think about the internet and art and you know whether it's physical art that you can take with you or that you visually remember that you listen to or whatever it is or it's something you distribute on the internet that then goes you know wild goes viral or whatever that always blows my mind like how it's in our hands for a second and then it's it's out there in the world so with music i can't even 
begin to imagine. And I heard you say on Ellen's podcast that the song Holy River really took off in ways you didn't imagine. And, and people were, I think you said like playing it as their friends died and playing it as they gave birth. And I wonder if you have more stories like that, that you heard, oh, people are doing this with our music. Because when you said they were playing it as our friends died, you know, there's there's two songs that I realize when I die, I want these songs to be playing as of now. One is Holy River, which I already <laughs> thought before you said that. And then another one's called uh, Pachimama, and I think it's called By Beautiful Chorus. And whenever, yeah, I... Whenever I listen to those two songs, you know, death scares me sometimes. But when I think about it and I listen to those songs, I'm like, I could die to this. Um, so it's just interesting that you said that. And I'd love to hear if you had more stories like that about how your songs kind of took said, on. We maybe said it in Ellen's podcast, but we, we weren't able to go to Standing Rock, although we participated in a lot of fundraisers um, for it. But we heard from some of our friends who did go to Standing Rock that in one of the song circles there that Holy River was shared um with people there so it's kind of like it goes back to that like this thing has autonomy of us right it's almost like yeah we had this kid and our kid went to standing rock you yeah. know and and it, <laughs> yeah. and it did this thing separate from us and uh and our friends sarah told us we, we sing a song sometimes called standing like a tree mm -hmm. which is not we didn't write that song it was written by betsy rose um who is an activist in california but but we've been using it a lot in the pipeline fight and we made a music video for it and sing it a lot. And, um, and our friend Sarah said that she was escorting women from like a, from a de deportation, like ice facility, mm -hmm. um, to safety to somewhere. She was being an escort mm -hmm. of, of undocumented immigrants, um, in a really high stress situation and that she was singing that song in her head to keep her her balance and her core and that was so yeah. beautiful i mean people geez people send us these like just like the most beautiful stories that of things that they happen with our music and it's like overwhelming but also what makes us be like okay well this is our this is our vocation and you know, no matter what happens with, you know, with the pandemic, we haven't been able to play, you know, mm -hmm. for a year and a half. We couldn't. We had this window where we saw you. Yeah. And now our shows are getting canceled again. Yeah. And so, you know, it's weird and hard to be a musician at in these times, especially some ones that perform um, for a living. Mm -hmm. But. It's yeah, when we get these stories, necessary, but, yeah. you know? and when we get these stories, I think it just, like Lainey said, it just reinforces like, yeah, this is what we should be doing. This is our life path and, and we are contributing in good ways. And I think the way that we do just like humbly receive those things is just the knowledge that this art and all art, just like it transcends time and space and it mm -hmm. transcends ownership at some points. Right. And it just becomes this thing that is is just larger and impactful and is motivating. And I know I've had that moment with so many songs mm -hmm. um, and with so many things that I've seen and resonated with that have helped continue to drive me probably well beyond any of the intentions of the person who facilitated, you know, the art in the first place. And so um, just knowing that it is like, there's 
back to the finding the magic, like art is magic, and it and it speaks to us in a way in like really profound magical ways that none of us I think can com- completely describe with our limited words. Um, but uh, when when we get these stories and we hear these things, it, it just helps us to be mindful of like yes, we we have access to this um, to participating in this way, and it helps continue. Yeah, which which is so beautiful, and uh, I think it'll be interesting. I don't know when you have like a physical child to kind of compare with your songs that you know your art, your songs, your music that are also like your child that kind of go off in the world. So, I it's interesting how I think that'll be a harder process. Yeah, <laughs> a harder, longer process with the actual child. The song is like you birth it, and then it's immediately you know wants to travel and be grown up. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think that also another element of it is is when I am in like a weird place, and I will go back and listen to old songs of ours, and it's it's hard to I almost like disassociate, and I'm like, mm-hmm. who is that? <laughs> who is that person <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bringing me this medicine, this great medicine that I needed right now? You know, yeah. Like I, sometimes I'll just like sit and listen to old songs and like weep. You yeah. know, because <laughs> yeah. it, it's so helpful for me to remember who I am and who I've been, mm-hmm. even though it's like beyond me. Also, yeah, yeah. That's that. That's so beautiful, and and I'm also sure that other people do listen to your music and weep during times when they really need to, because I have a playlist ready for when I need that, and you're definitely on it. Um, <laughs> with that being said, also I wanted just for anyone listening to this when it's out into the world, they can go to the link under the show notes, and they'll be able to find your music and your website um, and all of these things, so that they can hear your beautiful music that we are talking about in this podcast um but yeah I so many good points and and thank you for sharing all of those things and your thoughts on everything because it's obviously comes through in the way that you write your songs and craft your lyrics but I also feel like just listening to you to speak whether it's in person at a concert or on the podcast um that also feels like art, you know, which is probably why you're great at writing songs because the- <laughs> we're still working on this one. <laughs> like, it really stretches us. We're, we always watch back at our interviews and we're like, oh, I'm such a dummy. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> like, What's my random family member going to think when they hear me say that? <laughs> yes. Whatever. It's life of an artist for yeah. sure is to is to not be totally satisfied with the things that are happening. Yeah, and creating. look back and be like, why did I say that? I Yeah. I will I'm sure you know this, but like everyone who come on the po- comes on the podcast or that I interview for different things is like, Oh, I sounded so bad. Why did I say that? All of these things and I listen back to my own voice and I'm like, Oh my god, why did I say that? What's my mom gonna think? Like, all of these things, too. So I think it's a very common, like, artist brain thing. Um, yeah. But the one thing that I wanted to ask you about was your trip to South America, because as we mentioned, um, I spent a year there after I was an exchange student, and, you know, listening to your story on Ellen's podcast, I realized that you wrote your first album after or while you were in South America but then you came back and recorded it am I correct yep yep yeah I'd love to hear just a little bit about what that process was like like where were you sitting when you were writing the lyrics for this were you sitting in a cafe 
somewhere in Chile and something happened and you just started writing on a napkin? Am I like romanticizing this or what was happening where you were writing bit. this? I mean, we were it happened sitting, in so many different places because we were there for a year and a half. Uh, well. I remember an, ex an exact moment of sitting, we were working in the kitchen at this restaurant called Trotamundos in Valdivia, Chile. And um, we were helping our friends open this restaurant. Oh. And um, we <laughs> we were, it was so funny. They had so many rules for kitchen safety. And so we would be wearing like hair nets and masks and gloves and like making papa stritas on the, yes. with the fryer and all day. And, <laughs> and um and we started writing the lyrics to the the first song on the album, The Paul Bear. And he was he was writing them. I was scribing them. So he would say, you know, what about this? I mean, I think the the first album is like pretty silly when you listen to it because we've changed so much. But it's if you go back and listen to it, it's it's a lot of meandering thoughts on like um, longing for home, longing mm -hmm. for a home, but also reflections on like. Catholicism and post-Christianity like trauma and things like yeah. that because I think that was coming up a lot um, mm -hmm. through the travels because um, you know the Catholicism is such a uh, impactful thing in South America and and that is just kind of very imagery imagery wise very reflective on the origins of what came after that in terms of Protestantism and things like that and mm -hmm. so I think there's just a lot of meandering thoughts on um on like travel and where's our place, where's our home, what does home look like, what does home mean, um, and also just like what is, you know, what is the impact of this like, um, you know, the this overarching kind of religious experience mean and how does it impact me and my like post-traumatic Christian movement kind of thing, you know. One song is about, we were staying at our friend's house in Bogota. Oh yeah. In, in Colombia. And through the window of our bedroom, you could see this giant statue of Mary on the hillside. And that hillside was catching on fire. And so there were these like forest yeah. fires up there. And so the planes would go and try to drop water on it. And and that imagery of the, the patron saint of stone climb. Climbed down the mountain, raised up her hands, but couldn't heal the land um, oh, wow. is the line, right? So it's just like a... a yeah, I mean, it's all, like, stuff that we almost have to accompany it with a story for it to make sense. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of our lyrics were just much more kind of mystical, just meandering thoughts. And at some point, our lyrics started to change to a lot more kind of direct reflection when we realized we were singing these things over ourselves every day. Yeah. And we wanted to be a lot more intentional about what we were saying and what we wanted to cultivate. Um, but our first album is, you know, we were we were little babies, you know, traveling <laughs> around. Um, and music and writing music has always been a way for me um, because that's my art form of processing what's happening and what I'm going through mm -hmm. and making sense and making a story of it. So when we picked our original band name, Lobo Marino, when we recorded our first album, we didn't expect to stay a band. Honestly, I thought that that would be kind of a one and one and done album just to like sort of you know, oh, that was our South America trip. Here's a, here's a, like, you know, the travel blog journey yeah. through, through the sounds, you know? Um, yeah. But we played it at a concert when we got home to 
to show people the songs, and it was in this really noisy bar. And we had two opening acts, and, and nobody stopped talking. Oh, no. Everybody else was, you know, set. And then it was time for us to play. Super noisy, chatty bar. And it just got completely silent, and mm -hmm. everyone... There was something that happened that is beyond... It was beyond us, because I don't even think we necessarily even performed well, necessarily. <laughs> I think it was just like we we channeled something, and, and you know, the energy of music told us to keep going, because it almost didn't make any sense that we got this, like, rowdy, noisy bar to become <laughs> totally silent through playing our first show um, yeah. back home. And uh, and then it just said, okay, we'll keep going. And then we learned, you know, that traveling with music was one of the best ways, like we talked about before, to to continue. And so that it so we'd like travel cross country, go like travel to California on tour, and then trim weed yeah. for during yes. the season to make money, to make extra money, and then we tour back. And that's sorry, family, we mean harvest whatever. almonds. Yeah. So, yeah, we told them that we were working on a walnut farm. Walnut Everyone always is working on a different type of farm when they're in California with their parents, aren't they? <laughs> the weed field was in the middle of a walnut grove, so it was like we were working on... We were working on a walnut grove. Basically. Yeah, technically. Um, <laughs> I love it, though. Like, I mean, for, for the first few years, we had to have side, you know, seasonal... Um, jobs to be able to finance it because our music wasn't making us money yeah. until probably about like year five or six into touring until it finally was like okay now we can um we can have income off of off of this um yeah yeah but we were just like also playing like punk houses yeah and, like, <laughs> i feel like so. Uh, I mean, I do want to talk about some South America trip because I do think we have some like practical traveling tips that we learned along the way that were really like helpful for us. Yeah. Do you want to share some of those? Because some people who um, listen to this show, you know, or read through my stuff or whatever, have not been out of the country before and might be inspired for South America because I do talk about it so much. So if you have any thing that you're like, yes, if you have never gone and you're going, know this. I would love to hear that, and I'm sure it would help people listening. Yeah, I mean, for for us, what what gave us the ability to travel for so long was we, we always tried to find a place that would facilitate our housing, because housing is, is one of the biggest expenses of traveling, right? Mm -hmm. And it started off where we were wolfing, which is, you know, the, the world wide opportunities for organic farms, um, which is like a database online, and that kind of connected us with farms, but then that connected us to the idea of staying in communes and things like that, mm -hmm. and some of those were just word of mouth, but I think our best experience of like where we had some of our most impactful experiences was work trading at youth hostels. Um, mm. And so we would go to a city and we would just literally go from one youth hostel to the next and say, can we work trade here? Can we work trade here? Until we would find one that would say yes. And um, and that just like gave us the ability to stay in a city for a month or two months or three months at a time. And when you're in a city for that long, you can really start to get to know it. You can find the art scene. You can find the free things. You can find the things to do. You get to meet a wide variety of people that are staying at the youth hostel and you almost always make friends with locals because you become a part of, you know, you go to the market regularly, you do this thing, you do that. And so you start to make friends. And I think for me, staying at youth hostels was the one that like gave me the largest impact of a feeling like I was really participating or living in the city too. And a little hack of working at youth hostel. If you work at a youth hostel, we would do to 
make money besides busk. Um, you know, we would go to the street and just play music and sometimes get loose change. But we would also like at every youth hostel, you know, people buy food, they bring it back to the hostel, they put their name on it, but oftentimes we'll leave it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and when those people leave, you just, you just collect their food that they left behind. And when, you know everybody's names because you check them in. Yeah. Yeah. Check so you know everybody's yeah. name. You know, when they check in, they check out. You, you go back and you acquire the food that they've left behind. And when you have more than enough just to feed yourself, we would make large, hostile, donation based meals. So we would say, hey, we're making a meal tonight for dinner, donation based dinner um, out of the ingredients that we either dumpster dived or that was left behind, you know, by the people there. And so it cost us nothing. And then that would help kind of pay for whatever we wanted to do for. You know, if we just did that once a week, it would give us enough of a budget to really, you know, survive or, or go out and do some extracurricular fun things. I mean, and we wouldn't really do extracurricular things that cost much money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once We'd you, be like, let's go get a pizza and some beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you find the art scene, you know, you can find the free things. Like, and that's, you know, really true. There's the, the, the tourism things, which usually costs a lot, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a good experience. But when you get tapped into kind of the more local DIY scene, um, you can find those spaces where it's costing either donation based or nothing. And, um, and make those friendships and kind of have those like really authentic experiences. Yeah, um, those are my usually where I meet the coolest people where it's free or pay what you can or donation based. I'm like, all right, I know I'm going to meet someone cool here. Um, but I love that travel hack for working in a hostel because although I've stayed in so many, I have yet to work in one, which is really weird. I mean, I've I don't know. I've worked so many. I've done wolfing. I've worked so many weird places doing so many weird things. But um, it's it's always on my list. And I was going to do it before, go back to South America, actually, and do that before COVID hit. Um, so that kind of took it off. But I love the idea of taking all the leftover food and making a meal and just doing it donation-based. Um, that's that's an incredible travel hack. So I've never heard that before, which, you know, doesn't happen a lot because I talk to a lot of travelers and usually I've heard, you know, whatever the thing is. And that just psh, next level. Thank you. <laughs> it helped us. It helped us a bunch. And I think because I, you know, and we're good at dumpster diving. Too. And we're good yeah, at dumpster that diving. Helps. We're good at finding those things. And, you know, wolfing is a lot of fun and being on the, and farms are a lot of fun, but it did sort of feel like these little like micro bubbles where you weren't necessarily like, you know, it was really dependent on who your host was. And yeah. so your experience really varied whether it was enjoyable or not because of how, like, much of it depended on your host and the environment. Whereas even in some of the experiences we had where we were working in, like, quite frankly, not super exciting hostels or kind of, like, you know, not the best situation, it it was kind of easy to get through the day of work and then just get out and and participate and be in the city, you know, and yeah. um, or be in the town or wherever we were, because we weren't always in cities. Um, and it kind of offered a lot more relief where you weren't like kind of trapped in the bubble of the experience. You could have the experience and then get out and, and kind of have your own explorative, you know, um, uh, methods. Well, and with woofing too, you know, we were, this is the first time we were really learning how to grow food and harvest food. Mm -hmm. And it's great. Um, but it's also, you never get a holistic approach to working with the land. You're like there for a harvest or you're there for a sowing. And so you don't get to have really a relationship with the land unless you're we're woofing for a very long time. And, um, and also, um, depending on 
labor laws and like just cultural understandings about labor. Mm -hmm. Um, it can be either a lot of work in some places or very little work. Like if you're going to work, I recommend you do it in France. <laughs> because when I did it in France, we just like worked like three hours a day and wow. drank wine for lunch and had like three hour lunch breaks and oh my spent gosh. most of our time hiking in the canyons. And <laughs> oh. just, you know, we did a lot of hard but, work. But there we was hard work when we were woofing and Chile and, and, and other places yeah we learned yeah well we learned learned a lot yep that's that's we, a good way to put it you learn a lot from wolfing we learned a lot yeah you do learn a lot this, our first farm we were in was in Olmoy, which is outside santiago mm -hmm. and um we were woofing on this farm where the guy who owned the farm was kind of strange and he's sketch he, he was, was kind of sketchy and he was pretending like he invented african horn melon and tomatillos he was a foreigner we too. He's from Israel. Israel and Chilean. Um, but so we had massive harvests of like African horn melon and what he called melomate, but they were tomatillos. Yeah. And um, he had like 12 dogs on the land, like on the small land where everyone was sleeping. And we were sleeping in a tent under an avocado tree. And every <laughs> night the dogs would come and jump on our tent and like just jump on us in our tent. And uh, we were like, hey, man, I... Not in I, a cute like, way, either. Yeah, not, not like, yay! <laughs> and, and so at some point, we were like, hey, like, I'm kind of feeling stressed out about these dogs jumping on us in the middle of the night, and not getting a lot of sleep. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll send you to this oregano um, plantation I have up in the mountains. You'll love it. It'll be romantic. And so we, they drive us like way into the mountains at, to this farm where they put us immediately on horses with no saddles. Two of us are on this one horse on a potato this sack. This poor horse. This poor horse. And then they take us on this two-hour horseback ride up a curving mountain path and through like barbed wire fields. And, and like the horse is literally having to like scale the mountain sometimes falling on its knees to get up like oh the steep incline two people on a potato sack on it. I think it. I got off of it for a while and just walked next to it because I felt so sad. And horse. we get to the top of the mountain where the oregano field is and there and they're like chinchillas everywhere. And there's the guy who is living on top of the oregano field comes and he looks like Rambo with like two like what are they magazines when you have the, the, the bullets, bullets that are yeah. across your 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 shoulders and a giant gun and we we're like and these two dogs that are starving to death and he's like did you bring the dog food to the guy who brought us up and he's like no i haven't brought it up yet and he's like my dogs are starving and that guy who was like the keeper of the oregano field was actually up there like guarding this quartz mine because there were they were robbers coming and trying to steal the quartz out of the quartz mine but this guy was all by himself with his wife and his two starving dogs and not being taken care of by the sketch anyway that was cut himself in the, with a sickle harvesting the oregano and they just told him to pee on it and it was just it was a so exciting I guess adventure 
moral of we, the moral of, of advice that we give to a lot of people is we are the types of folks that really like honor our agreements, like whatever agreements yeah. we make with people, we really honor them. If we say, yeah, we'll come work with you for a month, we're going to stick out the month. And in retrospect, I think we stuck out quite a few situations that we just had total autonomy and permission to just leave. Yeah. Um, but we didn't because we were really, um, we really honored our word. And so, um, although a lot of those experiences are awesome and now they've led to some pretty amazing stories, yeah. <laughs> I think in hindsight, there were a few times where we were like, oh, we should have just left this earlier. Um, once we learned to start like being in youth hostels or we found communes instead of farms, um, that caused everything to feel a lot more, um, just like better and more regenerative and more like give and take more communal. Um, yeah. So it, it didn't feel quite as like, Oh, we're being exploited a lot. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, but it's, I mean, it's fine. We, I really do feel like we learned a tremendous amount and about each other too. Cause we went through quite a, like that story is like a collection of really hard stories. And, yeah. and we really like, you learn a lot about yourself and about, you know, your potential like who you're potentially partnering with for a long time through those experiences and so I wouldn't also trade them for anything either yeah which uh, which I totally related to your story although mine are totally different but with wolfing because I did that so much you know when I was younger and first getting into travel and um just where you find yourself like you found yourself in an oregano field with this guy with the magazines and starving dogs after you rode a horse on a potato sack like there's just I love that story because I can so relate to so many stories like that and I feel like it's so true you know if you're with yourself you really get to know yourself well and and you know even if you're with someone but if you're with someone you're going through it with them um and I'm not going to tell the story because I'm sure I've told it on here before but one time I was wolfing in LA which made no sense there was a farm in the middle of um Silver Lake like the, oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah there was a farm there and I had never been to LA and I wanted to go so bad and I was super broke I didn't have any money and um it was my first time in California and or I think it was my first time in California and anyways I was on this farm and then like you they're like I'm having problems they're like let's transfer you so they sent us out into the middle of nowhere in Palmdale to a house with no doors, no windows, there were like drug needles everywhere, like people had been using it as like a using house. And they sent us out there on this one property with like 12 dogs, these huge dogs. And it caught over 100 degrees every day. There was no running water on the property. Terrible situation. I was sent out there at first with my friends and then they switched out the people wolfing because my friends were like, I'm getting out of here, which I, like you, was like, I'm trying to honor my contract, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh like, what the heck? Why did I even think that? But then they sent me out there with these four French dudes who were awesome, but only one of them spoke English. And so it was just like this weird situation that I'm like, how did I get here with all these dogs in a tent, in a house, in a... I don't know. It was just so out of this world that I'm like, how did I end up here? But I do feel like those situations add so much value to your life in weird ways. Not that you want to go be in them all the time, but when you reflect. Yeah. <laughs> I think now we would, you know, 
honor we would not like honor our agreements if it was yeah. that situation that's again. the difference with having a, a child is i think i'd be like no 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 yeah <laughs> but i will i will say at the same time because we had you know we started wolfing and a lot of those experiences were really hard that when we did find uh hostile working although that was had its own challenges it felt like, like such a push. different relationship it was just like oh yeah we can do this you know yeah. and and that just got so much easier because really it's like all you really have to do is go to a place where there's enough hostels where you can just one of them is going to usually say yes to mm-hmm. to volunteers or, or or somebody to do a work trade and we would just you know pick the area like hey we've read in the from someone or in this travel thing, this is the kind of the area of the town or city to be in where cool things are happening. So let's just find a, a work trade. And, you know, that was a lot easier to honor, like I said, because you felt like you could escape it, you know. Mm-hmm. It didn't, You're just like making breakfast for people, you yeah. know. Checking people and in, like and checking them out, beds. beds and doing laundry. As opposed to like the last farm job we had before the hostel work was, it was becoming winter. And we were in outside of Buenos Aires at this um, Hare Krishna community, mm-hmm. and they had us working in the garden. But our job was mainly to like thin this carrot patch that was full of nettle, and so oh, we God. were just like thinning out stinging nettles like all day, getting stung by stinging nettles, <laughs> and then like trying to dig, dig a ditch in this like ground that was trying to freeze. And I was like, no. Nah. We're good. I actually got. Uh, <laughs> ready for a cushy hostel job. Yeah, yeah. I in a lot of those situations, I would just lean into because I do have like a construction background. I would kind of lean more into like, oh, what's the construction project you need help on? So you don't put me on like, you know, I would have an out so that I yeah. can like go do something else. So um, that you so wouldn't I, start I doing up, that. Yeah, I ended up building quite a lot of things, and I built like a gazebo, and I at we the built, we place. built a horse corral, <laughs> and. The second day the horses were in it, they busted through it. Yeah, I hadn't worked with horses a lot, so I didn't really know, uh, we know, they didn't know how strong they were. They just, well, and we also didn't have any power tools. They just gave us, like, Amish tools, like a hand drill that you would drill like this and yeah. and, uh, and wire. So they were oh like, here's a bunch of gosh. random Here's a handsaw, log. a hand drill, and no, we hand had to go harvest saw. the logs. Oh, yeah, we had to harvest the lot of wood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was a, you know, it was a lot. But, I mean, you know what? They only got out once the second time I replaced it. They did, you know, I made it. It was a lot stronger after that. The horses saw you making know. it, and they're like, these amateurs. We're yeah, about they to were bust like, through this. You don't know how to work with horses. And yeah. You're right. That's right. I did not know how to work with horses. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Those are the... The stories, I feel like I can't wait to when they come up with travelers. I'm like, tell me that story. Like, how do I pull this out of you? So I love that you brought up those stories. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been incredible. And I, before we end the interview, I'd love to know where people can find you, if there's anything you want people to know about, anything new and exciting that you're like, you have to check this out. It's all you. We are on all the things. All the platforms. Um, We're the most expressive on Instagram. Yeah, we okay. like we we share the most on Instagram stories. That's where you can actually like see what we do every day. Um, and we we prefer people to download our music from Bandcamp over all the other streaming services. But and we have some great music videos. I highly recommend watching the Spirit Riot music video yes. and uh, listening to our new album, but which I really love and. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, just follow our journey, and as much as you, you wherever you stream from, if you um, either Bandcamp or Spotify or whatever you listen to, um, if if you like our music and you want to put it into your you know your daily life, or even turn the music on like really low volume and stream it all night, you know, because right <gasps> now we are not really like. Uh, you know, uh, the entertainment industry, uh, especially like the smaller, like, you know, kind of like in the smaller end of it, like us are really taking an impact. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the first go round with unemployment was awesome. We pretty much know that's not going to ever happen again the mm-hmm. same way that it had happened before. And so, um, you know, we're starting to see shows get canceled. And so uh, we also have a bonfire where we sell Oh, t-shirts. yeah, we have a really cool merch merch site where you can get lots of different t-shirts yeah and it's just really hard to make music digitally this these days they pay you like like a quarter of a penny i saw that a stream you know i would also say admittedly so we are not totally maximizing on what we are able to do on the internet because we have been so diy tour based for so long Mm -hmm. We've, we've always like kind of physically toured our music and so we're learning a lot um about uh, how to kind of maximize journeying over the internet. And so if you like our music and you have suggestions for us or you, you know, know of different platforms that we can engage in, like, you know, we, this is definitely a new journey for us learning how to um, share our music on a, a more digital way that is monetized, which is annoying. But like, you know, it, it, it makes me sad because it feels so much more regenerative when it's in person you know there's this like exchange and you can really feel like there's this like true honoring that's happening um and you can really give gratitude for the way that people are blessing you um and digitally it's harder to feel but um if you know however that lands on people if you want to help us learn more about the internet or download that's that's awesome Yay. And yeah, again, for everyone listening, they can go to the link in the show notes and I will put up the bonfire and all of the things that you mentioned. So people will be able to find that very easily. Make the world a better place by leaving things better than I found it. You know, whether it be people or the planet or, you know, all kinds of things. Isn't there a quote that says, feel fear and do it anyways? Yeah. 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 So I think for us insignificance, we have to do it ourselves. A lot of people are doing things in their life that they're not completely happy with. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it just because, you know, it's a norm and they feel like they feel pressured by society. Definitely. Or they're just, you know, stuck in this rut. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ruts can be comfortable for people. And they can be very comfortable. Comfort is not how you, how you grow as a person. <laughs> <laughs>